Father, I want to thank you for the anointing on my life to stand and declare the gospel and to do it with clarity of heart, Daddy. I want to thank you, Father, that the work of the Holy Spirit is to take the truth that is declared and to marry it in our hearts so that we absolutely get it. And Father, we thank you that as we embrace your word, as we just grab a hold of the word today, that we're just so excited because we realize it's establishing us more and more and more so that when we look in the mirror and we say, I am the righteousness of God, we believe it with all of our hearts. Daddy, I want to thank you right now in advance for what you're about to say and what you're about to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the last time I ministered, I began a series that I'm calling the I Am's of Jesus. There's eight declarations all found in the Gospel of John. Jesus himself saying things like, I am the bread of life. I am the door and I am the good shepherd and I'm the light of the world and I'm the resurrection and the life and the true vine and the way, the truth and the life. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. Those are the eight declarations of Jesus. And I ministered last time a message from one of those I Am declarations. It was called Light of the World. Well, I want to minister this morning in that same series through a message that I'm calling Loosed from Darkness by Enduring Love. We know that if we want natural darkness to disappear, natural darkness to move out of the way, natural darkness to leave a particular space, whether it's in your basement or in a room in your house or in your garage or even in your backyard, all we have to do is just simply turn on the light. Darkness has to flee. When we turn on the light, darkness cannot delay. It must go immediately. Sometimes we hit the snooze in the morning. We have all kinds of delays and setbacks in our lives, but darkness cannot delay when light comes on. In fact, darkness cannot dispute the fact that light just came on and took over its space. I don't care if darkness had been in a space for a bazillion years. When light comes on, darkness cannot dispute the fact that light just took over its territory, if you will. When we turn on the light, darkness cannot defend itself anymore. It is helpless. Light is always more powerful. Darkness is always defeated by light. But what about when darkness hijacks someone's Emotions. What about when darkness hijacks someone's mind with the intangibles, such as guilt and shame and fear and condemnation and anger or even lust? What happens when darkness hijacks that area? Then what do you do? I brought a flashlight. This is my mag light from home. I mean, here's where the battle's at, is in the mind. I really just wish it was easy as turning on the light. <laughs> Doesn't that look ridiculous? For those that will be listening by Podbean or through a CD later, I have a flashlight on my forehead. I look kind of like a unicorn, don't I? I wish you could just turn on a light and just say, okay, darkness, just go away. It works in the natural. It's supposed to work this way in the spiritual too, right? But it doesn't work that way. You see, when Moses was standing on top of a mountain and Joshua was fighting in the battle, he was fighting the battle in the valley, Moses had a flashlight on his forehead, essentially. It wasn't really that, but he had two men, his brother Aaron and his servant, her, that came alongside of him and held up his arms. And as they held those arms up, the battle was being won. Well, we can't turn on a flashlight and make all those issues disappear, but the way to make them disappear, the way to take over that space, is absolutely the same. It's always the light. It is the light of the world, and his name is Jesus. The Word says, the battle belongs to the Lord. I'm so happy that the light of the world, and that's what Jesus called himself, I'm so happy that his batteries will never burn out and his arms will never fall to his side. He is the light of the world. His name is Jesus. 
Jesus declared in John chapter 8 and verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That was the first time that he said it. He said it again just a few scriptures later in John chapter 9 and verse 5. Once again, he said, I am the light of the world. But I want you to see these two narratives, how they differ. The first time he said, I am the light of the world, he was standing in front of an adulterous woman, a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And he got through setting her free of condemnation. And then when he was done with that, he said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness. And all that was, that adultery was just darkness that had taken over that woman's life. The second time he said it, now watch how different this is, he said it in front of a blind man. He said it right in front of a man that was born blind. You see the difference? Adulterous woman, blind man. Here's another difference. The woman, there's no question about it, she was guilty. She was totally guilty. The Pharisee says we caught her right in the very act of adultery. There was no question about it. She was guilty. The blind man, he was innocent. In fact, when they encountered this blind man, the disciples said, Master, who sinned? This man or his parents? Somebody had to sin here that this man would be born blind. And Jesus said, neither one of them sinned. But this happened, he said, so that the glory of God might be manifest, or the glory of God might be displayed in his life. We've got an adulterous woman. We've got a blind man. We've got someone that is totally guilty and someone that is totally innocent. The other difference with the Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted to kill the woman before she came to the light of the world, Jesus. See, they wanted to kill her before, but then not after. With the blind man, they wanted to kill him after and not before. See, before he was just a blind man sitting by the side of the road begging. They didn't have any problem with him. But once he got the revelation, it was Jesus. They wanted to kill him too. Oh my goodness. God does things differently so that we rely on a word from him and not upon some written speech or some rehearsed behavior. You saw Jesus do that. His ministry was full of always doing things differently. He never healed a blind man the same way. He was always different. Sometimes he spit in the mud, made mud. You know, other times he spoke a word, other times a touch. He always did it differently. Two totally different stories, but the common denominator was the light of the world loosed each of them from darkness because of his enduring love. The adulterous woman didn't ask Jesus to get set free. The blind man, in this particular narrative, didn't even ask to see. It was Jesus' idea, and I want you to know something. It was love that was driving Jesus to set those guys free. Light is one of the manifestations of God's love. I want you to understand that. Light is just a manifestation of God's love. Very much like mercy is a manifestation of God's love. And grace is a manifestation of God's love. And compassion is a manifestation of God's love. And kindness and forgiveness of sins. All of that is just a manifestation of God's love. The last message I preached was a message I called Light of the World. That message showcased the love and compassion of Jesus. And in the end, through the story of that woman caught in adultery, it demonstrated that when we run into the arms of Jesus, mercy will always triumph over judgment. I want you to take that nugget and grab a hold of it this morning. Mercy will always triumph over judgment. Friends, I've come back to tell you this today. That's how it worked then, and that's still how it works now.
Bible says, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. I am the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And we can rest in that wonderful truth that Jesus said, I don't change. My daddy loved you from the beginning. My daddy loves you now. My daddy will always love you. In the late 1990s, I heard the story of a man that married the woman of his youth. She was his teenage sweetheart. It wasn't long as she gave birth to a baby girl. That little girl grew to be about six years of age, and unexpectedly, her mama died. That family was absolutely crushed. They went to the funeral, they went on to the cemetery, and as that daddy was walking out of the cemetery with his little girl, some friends came up to him and said, why don't you let us take your little girl for a few days? We've been talking, we think it would be good if you had a few days all by yourself. And the man looked at the friends and he said, thank you, but no thanks. We need to get used to the fact that mama's gone. They went home that afternoon and they did what they would normally do. They made a meal together, they washed dishes together. He read her a story on the sofa that night. And then it came time to tuck her in and he tucked her in and prayed with his little daughter and kissed her on the forehead and turned the light off and went down the hallway to his room. And it was one of those nights, one of those overcast nights. If you would have stepped outside, you could not have seen the moon shining. The stars were nowhere to be seen. After a few minutes, that little daughter felt her way down the hallway, and it wasn't long, and she stood in the doorway to her daddy's room. And she said, Daddy, can I sleep with you tonight? And he said, Yes, baby, you can sleep with me tonight. She climbed up in the bed next to her warm daddy and snuggled in. She said, Daddy, it sure is dark in here. He said, Yes, baby, it sure is dark in here. She said, Daddy, I don't believe I've ever seen it so dark. He said, I don't think I've ever seen it so dark either. She said, Daddy, I can't see you. He said, I know, baby, but touch me. I'm right next to you. I'm here. She said, Daddy, is your face towards me tonight? And he said, yeah, baby. He said, my face is towards you. She said, thank you, Daddy, and good night. And she drifted off to sleep. But Daddy didn't go to sleep. He got out of bed and he knelt beside it. And he said, Daddy, it sure is dark in here. Daddy, I don't believe I've ever seen it so Daddy, I can't see you. Daddy, is your face towards me tonight? And that man said he heard a voice whisper out of the heavens into his heart. He said, my son, my child, my son, my face is towards you tonight. He got up off of his knees and slipped between the covers and he crossed his arms and he said, thank you, daddy, good night. And he drifted off to sleep. When we face times, dark times in particular, we often say, daddy, it sure is dark in here. Daddy, I've never seen it so dark. Daddy, I can't see you. Daddy, is your face towards me tonight? Daddy, do you still love me? How can you love me in the midst of all this darkness, sometimes of our own making? How can you forgive me when I constantly fail, when I constantly blow it? Friends, I'm going to tell you how he can do that. It's because of his enduring love. God never promised that we wouldn't face dark times in life, but he did promise to be with us. Did he not? He said, I will be with you. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he said, fear not, for I am with you. My rod and my staff, they comfort thee. I'm reminded this morning that God separated darkness from light and promised that he would deliver us from the dominion of darkness and raise up beauty instead of ashes. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, we find these wonderful words. For he has, not he's going to, he has, not that he will, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, 
the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Let me go back to verse 13 here. It says, For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. The dominion literally means the power. It means the grip of darkness. It's like darkness has hands and it reaches out and it grabs a hold of you. I've never understood the phenomenon of when you grab a hold of a certain voltage of electricity. As much as you want to be able to let go of it, you can't let go of it because it pulls you in. You know what it, why it does that? Because it contracts your muscles. There's so much electricity going through you. It's not so much 110. 110 will really bite you, but grab a hold of 220 one time with some amperage and I want to tell you, it will pull you in and it won't let go and that's exactly what darkness tries to do to people in the form of our emotional realm or our mental realm and whatnot. As much as you say, this hurts, I want to let go, I can't seem to let go, it's got a hold of me. Only the light of the world can free you from that. For he has rescued us from the dominion. And the word dominion just literally means territory. It means a space that the enemy was occupying. It's literally talking about a province that the enemy had at one time. And the Bible says he has rescued rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Does it say that? Listen, I'm not making anything up. This is in the Word. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Continuing, it says, for in Him, not in you, in Him all things were created. I want you to notice that. Who's Him? Him is Christ. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things are held together. Let me go back to what I was saying about this dominion thing. Imagine yourself walking down the road, and imagine you come up on a man who's wailing on a child, beating a little child. I'm not talking about correction. I'm talking about cruelty. I want to tell you something. There is no way I would walk by something like that and not do anything about it. I haven't used these things in a long time, but I remember how they work. But I would never walk by that and just go, okay, I don't care if it's the person's child. Now, if you're correcting them, that's one thing. But if you're pounding on them and beating them and being cruel, I would rescue them from that dominion of darkness, that dominion of abuse. See, that's what abuse is. It's just a dominion of darkness. After I'm done rescuing them, I wouldn't just walk away and leave the man with the boy or the little girl he was beating on. I would transplant either the child or call the police or whatever it may be. But see, when Christ delivered us from the dominion of darkness, he didn't just say, okay, you're forgiven. You know what he did? The Bible says he planted us inside of Christ. He said, listen, I'm going to deliver you from this darkness, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to plant you in the sun of light, the sun of life, the place where all things were created. When I think about the Bible saying that in him all things are held together, I realize that I'm not the one holding together my hope. We sang about that hope today. I'm not holding together my hope. I'm not holding together my salvation. I'm not holding together my righteousness. I'm not holding together my right standing with my Father. Christ is the one who is holding it together. Does it say it? It says, He is before all things, and in Him all things are held together. Friends, we can sum up these scriptures by saying, we have been loosed from the dominion of darkness, and we are held together by Christ's enduring love. Going back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we find these words. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Watch this now. And darkness, darkness was even there in the beginning, and darkness covered the deep water. The Spirit of God was hovering over the water. Then God said, let there be light. 
So there was light. God saw the light was good. So God separated the light from darkness. And God, watch what he does now. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. This light is not referring to the sun and the stars. This is day one of creation. The sun and the stars were not made until day four. I believe this light is talking about none other than the light of the world. I believe it's talking about Jesus. Did you notice he didn't say, let us make light? He said, let there be light. He didn't have to make Jesus. Jesus was already there. He just said, let there be light. He was saying, son, this is going to be yours. This is going to be your domain. These are going to be our children together. Let there be light. Son, come and help me with this. Oh, how precious it is. Let there be light. So there was light. God saw that the light was good. So God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, we see how he corroborates just what has been said in Genesis chapter 1 so beautifully. Before anything else existed, there was Christ with God. He has always been alive and is himself God. He, that's Christ, created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Watch this now. He says eternal life is in him. That's Christ. And this life gives light. Do you notice when you find life, you're going to find light. When you find light, you're going to find life. Eternal life is in him. And this life gives light to all mankind. His life is the light that shines through the darkness. And when it says his life, that word life comes from Zoe in the Greek. It means the God kind of life, just like it talks about in John chapter 10 and verse 10, where it says, the thief cometh not but for to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. It's the same Greek word. His life is the light that shines through the darkness. And I love this part. And the darkness can never extinguish it. You know, darkness can never, not even once, overtake light. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? Light always wins. He says, and the darkness, or should we say fear. Fear can never extinguish the light, the light that's on the inside of you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he said, you are the light of the world. That's the only other place that he said it. He said it in John 8, verse 12, John chapter 9, verse 5, and then in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Shame cannot extinguish the light. Condemnation, wrongheadedness, and sin. All of our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future, and none of those things can extinguish this light that God has put inside of us. This is what is so free, and there's nothing I can do that can get this light to turn off. This light is eternal. This light is enduring. It is a God kind of light. God sent John the Baptist as a witness to the fact that Jesus Christ, watch what it says, is not just the light. It says he is the true light, the true light, the one and only true light. John himself was not the light. He was only a witness to identify it. Later on, the one who is the true light arrived to shine on everyone coming into the world. Although he made the world, the world did not recognize him when he came. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's why the Pharisees had such a hard time. Jesus, it's Jesus standing right in front of them and they cannot see. It says it right there. They said the world did not recognize him when he came. His own did, but the world did not. Back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Then God said, let there be light. So there was light. God saw the light was good. So God separated the light from darkness. 
And God called the light day. He gave it a name. I love that. He said, listen, let's call this day. And the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, why is that so important, that God separated light from darkness, and why is it so important that he called the light day? As we jump over in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 5, it says, You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night, nor do we belong to the darkness. Friends, we have been loosed from the darkness by enduring love. I surrendered my life to Jesus in August of 1995, the summer there. Would you like to know what caused me to fall in love with Jesus? I'll tell you. Love. Love caused me to fall in love with Jesus. His enduring love. It wasn't my love for him. It was his love for me that caused me to fall back in love with him. We sang about this love today when we sang the song, I See Grace, Sealed by Your Sacrifice. I see love reaching for me. Precious blood washes and sanctifies healing flows, setting me free. Grace is another manifestation of God's enduring love. Light and grace keep pointing to Jesus. You talk about light, it's talking about my Savior. You talk about grace, it's talking about Jesus. It was the encounter of that enduring love of Christ that came calling for me at midnight, one of the darkest hours of the night, that loosed me from darkness. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, we find this awesome truth. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What kind of love is this? This is an enduring love. This is an everlasting love. This is an eternal love. This is a love that can never fade. This is a love that can never go away. This is a love that will never run out, never turn back. This is a love that always shines in the darkness. This is a love that penetrates those areas where the enemy wants to capture your mind. This is an enduring love. In Psalms 136, it talks about this enduring love over and over and over. There's 26 verses in that psalm, and each verse will mention a virtue of God or something God did to rescue us. And then after it mentions that virtue or that act that God did, it will say His love endures forever. His love endures forever. 26 verses and 26 times without miss. It sounds like a broken record when you start reading. I mean, you can see where he was going with this thing. What was the point he was trying to make? The point he was trying to make is that His love endures forever. <laughs> it's obvious. In Psalm 107, it also speaks of God's enduring love. Psalm 107, verses 1 through 16. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Watch this now. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them tell their story. Those He redeemed from the hand of the foe, those He gathered from the lands, from the east, the west, the north, and the south, some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Did you see the goodness of God? These guys are hungry, the Bible says. They're in a desert. They can't figure their way out. They're walled in. They're thirsty, the Bible says. Their lives are ebbing and flowing, coming and going. But God comes on the scene. And then it continues. It says, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. It's just another way of saying his everlasting love, his enduring love, his eternal love, his unfailing love, and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty. That's the guys that were in the desert. He said, I'm going to satisfy those guys. And fills the hungry. Same guys with good things. 
Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness. Prisoners suffering in iron chains because they have rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. Here's guys that brought it on themselves. So what's God going to do? They brought this stuff on themselves. They did not obey the commands of the Lord. They were under the old covenant. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. They could finally say, Daddy, it's no longer dark in here. Daddy, it's no longer the darkest night of my life. Daddy, I can finally see you. Daddy, I can see that your face and your hand is toward me. What a wonderful truth. He freed them out of all that stuff. God loosed them from the darkness by his enduring love. Continuing, he says, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. Friends, I want to tell you, so we have to be blind and deaf to keep missing this. Really? Hey, he just keeps telling you over and over again, it's an unfailing love. It's an eternal love. It's an everlasting love. And he said, you know what your response ought to be? Give thanks. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through the bars of iron. Did you hear and make mental note of the recurring theme of Psalm 107? When the Israelites cried out to God from the midst of their darkest moments, their darkness, he loosed them from that darkness with his unfailing, enduring love. It's only the love of God that can free a person from that grip of darkness. One thing that I've discovered in my Christian journey is this. Wherever you find God's light, you'll find God's life. And wherever you find God's light and find his light, you'll find God's love. <laughs> oh, man. It's the driving force. His love is the driving force behind the light. Light is just a manifestation. Grace is just a manifestation. But behind all of that is his love for us. They are inseparable from one another. Not just any love, friends. It's an enduring love. It's the enduring love of John 3.16. Would you like to know whose heart Jesus dropped that scripture in for the first time? You say, wow, man, when Jesus quoted John 3.16, it's a scripture we're all familiar with. Who was he talking to? He must have been in front of kings when he said that. No, it wasn't in front of kings. Oh, it must have been his disciples who first heard it. No, it wasn't his disciples. It was a Pharisee and a sinner by the name of Nicodemus. He was the first one who heard those words from Jesus. It was this love and light and life that attracted the Pharisee Nicodemus to Jesus. I don't know of a greater grace story than the encounter of Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus' name is mentioned five times in the Gospels. Five is the number for grace. Nicodemus' conversion that night was not as flamboyant and as noticeable as Zacchaeus. When Zacchaeus was converted, man, that little short man was jumping all over the place, writing checks. He got his checkbook out and said, man, everybody I've wronged, I'm going to write a check today too. For, I'm going to pay him back four times what I stole from them. I mean, it was really obvious when Zacchaeus got saved, right? It wasn't as obvious when Nicodemus came into contact with Jesus. Not quite as obvious, but you'll see in the scriptures to come. What it does prove out is his actions and his words give us a hint that something happened in Nicodemus' heart that night. He came to the light of the world, that's why. His name is only recorded in John chapter 3, John chapter 7, and John chapter 19. Let's begin at the story of John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now watch what it says. It says, this man came to Jesus by night. In other words, it's making a point to tell us he came to Jesus when it was dark. 
he came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, these are some wonderful compliments. We know that you're from God. We know that you're wonderfully anointed. We know that nobody could do this unless they came from heaven. But Jesus doesn't pick up on all the compliments. He already knows who he is. You know, that's one thing that the message of grace will do for you. It'll get you out from being in the spotlight. Nicodemus said all this stuff, and Jesus didn't even respond to what he said. Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, Romans chapter 14, verse 17 tells us what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, okay? He said, unless you come and be born again, Nicodemus, you cannot experience this kind of kingdom of righteousness. See, you live in another kingdom, Nicodemus, but when you experience being born again, you will understand you've been transplanted into a different kingdom. So he tells Nicodemus, you can't see unless you are born again. So Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You know, I mean, sometimes you just, you got to stop and go, really? <laughs> I mean, I've had people take some things out of context too, but man, Nicodemus is a smart guy. I mean, he's the Pharisee of Pharisees. He's, he's a leader. Jesus is explaining a spiritual truth, and Nicodemus is still stuck in the natural. See, that's the problem. Jesus is trying to pull him into his kingdom, and he's saying, no, let me just stay over in this natural world that I live in. How am I going to get back in my mama's belly? I don't see how that can happen. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Not an option, Nicodemus, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And now, Jesus is about to drop a bomb on Nicodemus, because this is where John 3.16... You know, when I, I read these passages for years and years and years, and I thought the conversation ended with Nicodemus at verse 7 or 8 when he said, Marvel not when I say unto you, you must be born again. I just didn't realize Jesus kept talking and Nicodemus kept listening. Nicodemus was standing there when Jesus said, For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Nicodemus probably stared a hole right through Jesus because Nicodemus couldn't figure out how could God love the whole world? The world acts crazy. Maybe the God could love all the Pharisees, but not the whole world, Jesus. You, you went a little far, but he still didn't leave. Jesus went on to say, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then watch what he says, and this is the judgment, or this is the condemnation, he's saying, the light 
the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For anyone and everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds or lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus held back no punches when it came to Nicodemus' encounter. Encapsulated in this encounter is love, light, and life. All in those John 3 scriptures, it talks about the love of God. It talks about the light. And it talks about this everlasting, enduring life that Jesus promised us. This scripture does not say what Nicodemus did that night. You know, I was always puzzled that you could come into contact with Jesus in an encounter like this and not have it say what exactly happened that night to Nicodemus. But I believe that night that the revelation of the light of the world was planted into the heart of Nicodemus. Because the next time Nicodemus is mentioned, it's in chapter 7, and based upon what Nicodemus's words were, you can tell that Christ's enduring love took root in the heart of Nicodemus and loosed him from that darkness. Let's look at that. John chapter 7, verses 45 through 53. What is happening here to set this up is the Pharisees have just had enough of Jesus. We've had enough of you cleansing the lepers and casting out demons and healing people. So we want to kill you because you are starting to steal our church from us. We were very important to you came in the region, but now we're not so important anymore. So they literally sent men out to capture him. They sent these guards out, these officers, if you will, to go and snatch up Jesus and bring him. Then those officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees. The Pharisee says to these guards, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. I mean, they're just calling them names. Random names, bad names. I mean, you'd never want to say to somebody, You're cursed. Because if you weren't, it started to bring a curse on you. So they're literally defaming these guys. This crowd that does not know the law, the Mosaic law, is cursed. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of the Pharisees, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said unto him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. So what you can see right there is Nicodemus took a stand. It was almost like Nicodemus was saying, you know what? I thought he was a liar. I thought he was a lunatic, so I went to him. It turns out he's a lover. You want to put him on trial? Go ahead. Doesn't our law say that we need to listen to a man before we condemn him? It was almost like Nicodemus was saying, go ahead. <laughs> it's going to happen to you like it happened to me. He just wasn't that plain with it. The final and most significant mention of Nicodemus is recorded in John chapter 19. We call this the crucifixion chapter. John 19, verses 38 through 42. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, watch this now, and Nicodemus, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, this is his last mention, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Friends, I want to tell you something. You see the change of heart, don't you? Jesus has already died. He's hanging on the cross. And Joseph of Arimathea says, I'm going to take his body off the cross. I've asked Pilate if I can have his body. He said, yes. And Nicodemus says, I'll go with you. 
Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Did you notice it says, and then they took. Joseph of Arimathea wasn't the only one to take the body. It was Nicodemus as well. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Why is it so significant to understand that Nicodemus was one of the two men that took Jesus' body from the cross? Because they were under the Mosaic law, and the Mosaic law was bigger than Ten Commandments. There was a whole bunch of commandments. And I want to show you one of the commands that's found in Numbers, chapter 19 and verse 11. The one who touches the corpse of any person shall be unclean for seven days. I want to tell you something. These Jews, these religious leaders, did not touch the corpse of anyone because they realized, I'm going to be unclean for seven days. So the fact that Nicodemus was willing not only to take his body from the cross, but take the time to put the aloe and the myrrh on there and wrap it with linen, oh, my friends. I believe that Nicodemus somehow innately knew that he was not handling the body of a dead man. He was holding the body of the author of life the very one that loosed him from the darkness that he had been in all his life. And how did he do it? He did it with enduring love. The love that he spoke about in John 3.16 when he looked at Nicodemus and he said, For God so loved the world. What was he saying to Nicodemus? He was saying, Nicodemus, you can just stop all this nonsense, all this jumping through hoops. I've come by today to tell you that God loves the whole world. So if God loves the whole world, everybody's qualified to be saved. <laughs> not just the ones that are obeying the Ten Commandments, not just the ones that are doing all these things. He loves the whole world, Nicodemus. Friends, the light of the world is none other than Jesus Christ. I love this because the Bible has so much to say about light. It begins in Genesis chapter 1. They're talking about, and God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, let there be light. That's Genesis chapter 1. Surely the last chapter of the Bible, which is Revelation chapter 22, will that speak of light as well? It sure does. Here's what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you as these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. From Genesis to Revelation, it speaks of this wonderful light of the world. Jesus just got through telling you, if you've missed it all the way through this message, he just got through telling you, I am the bright and morning star. I am the light of the world. It is that very light that looses us from the darkness by his enduring love. Friends, if you've never experienced this light, if you have never received this life, and if you have never known this love, this is a wonderful time to say, Jesus, I want to thank you for what you've done. I want to thank you, threaded through all the scripture, I can see the goodness of the Lord. I want to thank you, Father, that even when a man like Nicodemus deserved to be condemned, you were so patient with him. You were so loving towards him. And you unveiled the light of the world and the love of God and the life which is in Christ and Christ alone. Daddy, I want to thank you that I just receive you right now by grace. It's no longer going to be dark in my life. It's no longer going to be midnight in my life because the light of the world takes up residence in me. He translates me out of the dominion of darkness and transplants me into the light of the world. So, Father, I receive the light of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I want to thank you right now that we just seal up these treasures in our heart. I want to thank you that as we approach the Word of God that we are always looking for the loveliness of Jesus. 
I want to thank you, Father, that he can be found in every book of the Bible. The Old Testament is the shadow of Jesus. The New Testament is the substance of Jesus. But he can be found everywhere we turn. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.